It's not uh, every day that you get to have cheers and uh, enthusiasm such as, as was demonstrated just now. You don't even know me, so that's great. <laughs> Appreciate that, but it's good for us to be with you this morning, and we are great, uh, like greatly anticipating what God is going to do this morning, and also what he has been doing here at the gathering, and what he's going to continue to do uh, with the gathering. Now, this isn't the only church in Windsor, obviously, but this is what God is doing in this family that you call the gathering. And yes, we are the Trojects, and I was going to introduce us, but uh, that's already done. You know, singing and worshiping is an amazing thing and an amazing privilege that we have as children of God. So if you've come here this morning and you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, He's met you, He's drawn you to the cross in repentance of sin, and you've committed your life to Jesus Christ. To worship together is an amazing thing. But I was thinking as we sang that last song, it's also a dangerous thing. Now, think for a second. What was the song we just sang? I surrender. Hearts wide open. All I have is yours. Is that your prayer this morning? Right? That's, that's a dangerous prayer when you start to step back and think about it. Great worship song. But in a sense, as we start to process that in our hearts and in our minds, that becomes a real danger. Do we really mean that? Do I mean this morning that all that I have is the Lord Jesus? Whatever He wants to do, however He wants to do it, do it. Well, we better step back and think for one minute. Am I really willing to do that? Because that means something to me. That, you know, that means something now in singing those words that I may have to do. That I may have to surrender. That I may have to give up. Have you ever been a part of something that was so big and so amazing that you got caught up in all of the enthusiasm of it? Have you ever been a part of something that big? Like, this is big, but... I mean big, like maybe an event, right? Or a playoff event. Or NASA. Car, is that right, car racing? Because I don't really go, follow NASA. But some people are really into NASA. And they, like crowds go to this thing and watch hundreds of, of laps around the course. And some people get excited about golf. And they go and they'll stand at a tee and watch golf. Again, I don't understand quite that sort of thing. I'm more into the athletics that you know running and basketball and hockey and things and, and that's great and you know I love hockey Amen. I'm not sure I love Montreal <laughs> and, and and you know I was sitting here this morning and, and Alan Alan actually introduced me to Garth yeah. right now I'd met Garth before but uh, we had spent some time here with Alan and Alan uh, kind of brought us together and uh I was sitting here this morning, and Alan had a hat sitting right beside me, and then left. And I think what that was was on purpose. I think it really was. But have you ever been a part of that? I remember two specific incidences where I was a part of an event that was big. And that was in the 90s when they had the Promise Keepers. And this was a men's ministry that gathered together in big uh, auditoriums like the football fields and things like that. And you got... 70,000 men together singing and worshiping, and you get caught up in the moment. But again, 
when you step back, you say, well, in the moment, is, am I really prepared for what God wants to do in me, or am I caught up in the moment? And I remember attending a Billy Graham crusade with our, our young people when we lived in Montreal, and we took them to Ottawa, and Billy Graham was going to be there, and so it was great. And we got there early in the morning. We brought our lunches. We got close to the front of the line. By the time we got in the line, into the audit thing, we were way back. Right? And we had gotten there really early, but the crowd gathered in and everybody pushes in and everybody wants the front, so you end up again way back. But those events were big and they were a lot of fun, but you get caught up in the moment. Who are we following this morning? Are we following the moment or are we following the Savior? And that becomes the question. This could be a man or a lady, but sorry, it's a lady in the... In the scenario. A lady driving a car became lost in a snowstorm. She didn't panic, however, because she remembered what her dad had taught her. If you ever get stuck in a snowstorm, just wait for the snowplow to come by, and then you just follow it. Sure enough, pretty soon the snowplow came by, and she started to follow it. She followed the plow for about 45 minutes. Finally, the driver of the truck got out and asked her what she was doing. And she explained that her dad had told her that if she ever got stuck in the snowstorm, to follow the plow. The driver just nodded and said, well, I'm done with the Walmart parking lot, so if you want to follow me over to Best Buy now. <laughs> we better be prepared for who we're following. That's very, very important. And so with that, let's turn to Matthew chapter 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. The disciples went, and they did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Heavenly Father, I just pray as we unfold your word here, as we've read it, and as we try to digest what you're saying, as we try to take in what you want to speak to us about this morning, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would just take your word, and I pray that you would apply it to our hearts, apply it to our minds, apply it to our lives. Lord, I pray that you would do what you want to do through your word this morning. We pray that we would be challenged, and we would be stirred, and that we would come to the place of recognizing who you are and why you've come. But most importantly, why and how that affects our lives. How it changes our lives. Knowing 
you for who you are. So we just pray that you would just be with us even this morning, and uh, I pray that you would just take this word that I have to speak, and that you would dis- that people would disregard whatever's not from you, but that you would just speak clearly and use me as an instrument even this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We come now to the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry. It's interesting, right? You have Matthew, and you have a whole bunch of chapters here, and, and yet we come right here to his last week on earth, his last earthly week. Everything from now on takes place during this final week. And much of it is said about Easter. Not really, actually. There's a lot of teachings that Jesus has. There's a lot of other things that come out in Matthew's gospel in this week, as well as the Easter story. It's not necessarily all about Easter, but Easter is the main point, as you will find out Friday and and Sunday of next week. Much of it is about the powerful teaching. This includes the end of the world teachings, which is interesting. Sounds like the book of Revelation. But Jesus is right now on his way to Jerusalem. Right? He's been traveling mostly up in Galilee, and he's on his way to Jerusalem to present himself as the Passover lamb. And if you follow the, the system here, what's happening Passover's on its way here, and the city is actually stirred. There's people gathering from all over to celebrate Passover. And if we're familiar with Passover, or if we're not, maybe Passover was something that happened way back when Israel was captive in Egypt. Right? And God used Moses to deliver his people out of Egypt. Right? And, there's a, and you can look it up. There's a Passover celebration that they do ever since to remember what God did to deliver them. And that's key. To deliver them from bondage. To deliver them from captivity. To free them to be God's people. And to have a nation of their own. And to serve God in that nation. And so it's very important to kind of understand that context. You can imagine that the streets would be crowded at this time. Because this was a big deal. It was one of the most important celebrations in their uh, time calendar. And so there's lots of people gathering together to worship God. To celebrate and remember the deliverance that he had. And so people would be everywhere. And up until now, Jesus for the most part had avoided big crowds. For the most part, he had avoided that. He had kind of kept a low profile and he was teaching He was healing. He was going about uh, really interacting with people in the area, north in Galilee area. And now he comes to the center and front of everything that's happening in Jerusalem. Why? There's two things that he's doing. He's actually moving towards his ultimate rejection. That's what he's moving towards. He's actually moving towards his ultimate rejection. And the rejection ultimately is spurred on by the religious leaders of that day. They're the ones that stir it all up as far as ultimately rejecting Jesus. It also is putting the wheels in motion for his ultimate sacrifice. And that's what we're going to find. And there's a few things we want to travel through. I'm going to give them to you right now. I don't know if people take notes. But we're going to see who Jesus truly is in this passage We're going to see his true intent, what his purpose was, and we're going to see, 
our need to respond. How are we going to respond? So as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, on the Mount of Olives, there's not much that uh, the scholars would say that they know about Bethphage. All right? There's not much that they have uncovered. They don't really know. It's a very vague uh, thing. But it's probably not too far from Bethany. Bethany is a place, if you remember, that uh, Lazarus was risen from the dead. And Jesus spent some time in Bethany and even just prior to this. So he's on his way and it's by the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with their colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks of anything, just tell them that the Lord needs them. And he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what the prophet had spoken. And now this is very interesting that in the midst of all that's happening... Jesus orchestrates things. Jesus is putting this all together, understanding that this is where I am going. This is what's going to take place in my life. And so he begins to orchestrate this all together on purpose, for the purpose which we'll find. Say, this is what the Zechariah 9.9 says. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah 9 is actually a prediction. It's, a, it's foretelling what's going to take place. And, he, and Zechariah is telling in the first part of Zechariah chapter 9 that uh, basically it's about Alexander the Great. And the second part is a greater than Alexander the Great's coming, and that is the Messiah. That is the deliverer. Right? We used that term just earlier. The deliverer is going to come and he's going to free his people. And it describes that. And so what Jesus is orchestrating is putting in the wheels in motion of the prediction that Zechariah had given, which proves he is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. There's no doubt about it from this, right, that we get, that Jesus fulfilled the prophecy in order to demonstrate that he is the Messiah, the promised one to come. And the disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. Real interesting. The purpose for Jesus' coming is to, we know now, right? To die, to sacrifice, to be on the cross, right? The disciples and the rest still have one thing that is running through their mind. Jesus is going to deliver us from Rome. Can you imagine the disciples that Jesus comes to and says, okay, I want you to go into this city. You're going to find a donkey and a colt, and you're going to get them for me. Right? You're just going to take them. You're going to steal them, I think, is kind of what it's saying here. Now, custom says that when uh, someone says, my Lord needs them, that's a referral to the fact that there is somebody of significance uh, and importance and in that culture, they would, you know, would want to give them to. That was a custom of that day. But can you imagine the disciples? I guess they're thinking, well, you know what? If Jesus is, which he predicted earlier in Matthew, if you will see, he actually talks about his death. If Jesus wants to spur his death on quicker, I guess if we steal a donkey, that's a good way to go. But it isn't necessarily what's happening here, right? So he's fulfilling the scriptures. The disciples, though, what's interesting is they follow. They do what Jesus has asked. They are disciples. They do what Jesus has asked them to do. Right? In full surrender, in full submission, they say, yeah, and they go. 
I don't know whether this was Peter and John or who the two disciples are. Matthew doesn't tell us. We get a little glimpse in the other uh, um, Gospels of who that was, but um, Matthew doesn't tell us who they were. But they went immediately. And then they put their cloaks on the donkey and the colt, and Jesus sits on them, and he prepares to travel towards Jerusalem. Well, all that's been taking place and all that is happening, if you follow these accounts, is Zacchaeus, right, was interacted with Jesus, and Jesus met Zacchaeus. He's healed two blind men. He's risen Lazarus from the dead. I'm sure that there must have been a lot of commotion from people. And so when Jesus gets on the donkey and begins to ride towards Jerusalem, all of a sudden there's some excitement. Wait a minute. The Messiah. Could it be? Could it be the Messiah? And so there's excitement that's stirring because they begin to do and demonstrate things that show that they recognize Jesus' Messiahship. They recognize him that he could be the Messiah. And so they get to the donkey, they put the cloaks on him, and as the large crowd begins to move with them, they spread their cloaks on the ground. In our culture, that doesn't really mean much because I don't understand how we could probably analogy it to today. But that was actually a symbol, from what I gather, that was a symbol of surrender, submission, of recognizing, hey, we're under, we're underneath you. We're supporting, we, we're laying it down so that you can go over. Because why would they want to put a cloak on the ground for a donkey to, to walk across? Other than a symbol of their laying down their lives to him. Very interesting. You see what's taking place? People are submitting themselves to the Messiah. Then they begin to wave palm branches in celebration of Jesus. And they begin their chants of deliverance. Psalm 113 to 118 are the psalms that were sung at Passover in recognition and anticipation of the Messiah. He's coming. And so, in a sense, we're a few days early. But they begin the chants of deliverance. They begin to celebrate. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Psalm 118.26 Again, Jesus is actually fulfilling prophecy this is how it's taking place to fulfill prophecy, but it's also anticipating the Messiah. And they are chanting this to say, Jesus, you are the Messiah, the promised one. And when they entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. Anyone have another version? I don't know if you guys interact, and it's a big crowd, so we won't do a whole lot of interaction tonight. But do you have another version and another word for stirred? Moved. Sometimes it's shaken, right? Shouting. Yep, they were shouting. The whole city was stirred, shouting, shaken up. And they asked one question. Who is this? Who is this? Have they not just understood what they've been doing? They have been recognizing Showing the recognition of Jesus as Messiah. But now you can see the, you know, the, the moments happening and the crowd's just getting all kind of stirred up and, and they're joining in on what's taking place. And then they've got to go, 
wait a minute, but who is this that we're, we're celebrating as the Messiah? Well, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the prophet. Oh, okay. They didn't even understand fully who they were recognizing as Messiah, but boy, they were hoping for the Deliverer. They were anticipating, is this the Deliverer? Could he be? Yes, he was. But what takes place? The people, as you can imagine, were expecting a Messiah to physically deliver them from Rome. Right? And and, and really, it's interesting because if you go back to the predictions, they should have actually clearly seen that this would be the suffering Messiah. Isaiah, Zechariah, Daniel, right? Even in 2 Samuel. Why is this not seen clearly that this could be the Messiah, but he is going to come and suffer? They didn't anticipate that. They wanted freedom from Rome. And so their whole basis of Jesus' Messiah was, wow, he's coming to deliver us and to free us physically from Rome. What's his first act? According to Matthew. So Matthew puts it in a great chunk of things, uh, order of of, uh, events. The first act following this is Jesus enters the temple. So here we have a whole mob of people anticipating deliverance. Let's raise up the armies. Let's go against Rome. And Jesus enters the temple. And Jesus clears the temple. Jesus Number one, from this passage, again, prophecy is, is a scene here that he fulfills, right? He fulfills prophecy, but also he demonstrates his true intent. As Messiah, his intent is the spiritual reformation of the people. It's the spiritual transformation of our hearts and our lives as we surrender. So I started thinking, what does this mean to me? What needs to be my response? This is great. If you go away from here and go, I just learned a lot of history, that is great. Then we've missed the point. We've missed the Messiah. We've missed Jesus, the King. So we want to take away some things that we go, well, what does this mean? Well, am I prepared to fully surrender my heart, my life to the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I fully prepared to say Jesus as the Messiah came to deliver me? Not for for health and wealth and, and all those things which are good, But that's not why He came. He came to transform my life. To take what was dead and make it alive. And you're going to find some reasons why Jesus came in the next little while. Maybe on Friday. Sorry, was it Friday? Friday. You're going to discover some reasons why Jesus had to die. Well, He had to. He could not come this time as the deliverer from Rome. He had to spiritually transform lives. He spiritually had to sacrifice so that we could know life. And most of us are not Jewish, which is really interesting because now we have an opportunity to participate in 
this, which we never really had before. There was conditions, but we never as a group had that before Christ's sacrifice was opened up for all of us. Have you trusted this Messiah? Have you committed your life to this Messiah? Have you surrendered all? Whatever Whatever it takes, Lord, I surrender to you so that you would be the Lord of my life. What's bookended in here? In Matthew's account, as we close with this. If you pop before Matthew 21, and then after the clearing of the temple section, we find it's bookended by healings. Wow. He did heal physically, but he healed spiritually. He heals emotionally. He comes with compassion. Alan talked about this last week. Listen to the podcast of the surrender, submission that we have to have and how Jesus is compassionate upon our people, his people. And we see that. We see the meekness, the humbleness of a Messiah. But don't miss it. He came as Messiah on his terms. He orchestrated events that took place. Be careful that we do not create the Messiah we want for our own lives. Yeah, well, you know, Jesus, I'll give you this, but oh, i got to keep this. That's mine. That's not the Messiah. That's not Jesus the Lord. As we see clearly here, he is the Messiah who he claimed to be. Is he our Messiah? Is he our Lord? Is he our Savior? I trust as we travel through these next five days leading up to Easter that maybe you'll take this account and start reading through and preparing your hearts for what. Uh, Pastor Garth is going to preach and prepare for and present on next on Friday. And as the Easter unfolds, that that is the key, the cross. Heavenly Father, I pray as we consider what our response needs to be. We see the people, how fickle they were, most of them, the majority of the crowd, how they could be brought into the moment and even recognize you as Messiah, even lay down their cloaks in and, and symbol of their lives of surrender to you as Messiah, but miss the whole point of why you've come, and then be, in a sense, changed and motivated to raise up against you in the next number of days. They didn't want you to clear the temple, their sin. They didn't want you to recognize sin and deal with sin in their lives. They wanted you just to deliver them physically. And Lord, you will be king ultimately, as Revelation tells us. You ultimately will come in your, all your glory. And the whole world will recognize you as the king of kings and the Lord of lords that you are. But right now, Lord, I pray that our hearts and our lives might be surrendered to you so that you can do a mighty work of changing and transforming us into your likeness, giving us life, taking us from death and bringing us to life. And Lord, if we have some things and areas in our lives that we just need to say, Lord, I've not given you this. I've not truly surrendered this area of my life to you and said, hey, whatever you want, just do it because I recognize truly who you are. Then Lord, may we lay that down today before we even leave. In Jesus' name, amen.